footsteps behind you as you enter the woods. Night draws back its cape. Light illumines your path. Open your eyes. Welcome to Dark Softly Tales, dark stories for dark hearts. I'm Mav Sky. Good evening and welcome to your nightmares. And another episode of your favorite horror storytelling podcast, Dark Softly Tales. This is your host, Mav. I will be navigating you through a moonlight room with creeping caged women. That is, we'll be reading part two of Charlotte Perkin Gilman's The Yellow Wallpaper. I wanted to share with you that two decades after The Yellow Wallpaper was published, Charlotte Perkins Gilman explains why she wrote the story. It's very beautifully put and a testament to an author putting her own vulnerability and experiences into story form. I linked it up in the show notes for those of you who would like to go and read it. I also wanted to mention that when there is a long pause in the narration, that is because there is a break in Jane's diary. I just wanted to let you know that's what's going on. As I've been narrating this story and thinking about the past few months with the election and COVID and the things going on, I cannot help but see the undertones of between the story and also what's going on between what it means to be free versus what it means to be safe we usually can't have both it's one or the other and it's just something to think about while listening to the story on a lighter note Dark Softly Tales really seems to speak to our global community and we've been gaining an audience in Lebanon, Russia, Denmark, Norway, Sweden, Finland, and the past month, almost all the countries in South America. So a warm welcome and hello to everybody, and I'm so happy to have you here. Oh, and a special shout out to Tom in New York. Your email was hilarious and brightened my day, and I'm so glad that you are enjoying my books. Okay, so I told you guys about the haunted closet a few episodes back. Well, I decided to move back to the attic now that the heat is gone and because of the weird issues I was having there. And the whole time I was moving my equipment, the light didn't flicker once. It was perfectly fine. So that was kind of strange. The haunted closet and I made an agreement. It can have the closet in the fall and winter as long as I can have it back in the spring and summer. In moving everything around, I had equipment issues yet again. The microphone arm that holds the microphone like snapped as soon as I set it up on my desk here in the attic. And it like utterly fell apart, even this spring. Dropping my microphone and almost knocking over the lamp in this tiny attic space. (laughs) It's ridiculous. But I ended up buying like a much stronger microphone arm that is way better than the last one and holds the mic at like the perfect angle. So I'm super excited about that. So despite all the annoying things, come hell or high water, COVID or murder hornets or aliens, we are set up for this winter. Now let's settle in and ease our minds. It's the summer of 1892. We're in an odd shaped attic 
with horrible yellow wallpaper and a giant bedstead nailed to the floor. Iron bars on the windows. What is a girl to do? Don't let the shadows on the wall disturb you. There isn't anything to be afraid of. Is there? Take my hand and hang on tight as we journey into the dark softly. Well, the 4th of July is over. The people are gone and I am tired out. John thought it might do me good to see a little company, so we just had Mother and Nellie and the children down for a week. Of course, I didn't do a thing. Jenny sees to everything now, but it tired me all the same. John says, if I don't pick up faster, he shall send me to Weir Mitchell in the fall. But I don't want to go there at all. I had a friend who was in his hands once, and she says he is just like John and my brother, only more so. <sighs> Besides, it is such an undertaking to go so far. I don't feel as if it was worthwhile to turn my hand over for anything, and I'm getting dreadfully fretful and querulous. I cry at nothing, and cry most of the time. Of course, I don't when John is here, or anybody else, but when I'm alone. And I am alone a good deal just now. John is kept in town very often by serious cases. And Jenny is good and lets me alone when I want her to. So I walk a little in the garden or down that lovely lane, sit on the porch under the roses and lie down up here a good deal. I'm getting really fond of the room in spite of the wallpaper. Perhaps because of the wallpaper. It dwells in my mind so. I lie here on this great immovable bed. It is nailed down, I believe, and follow that pattern by the hour. It is as good as gymnastics, I assure you. I start, we'll say, at the bottom, down in the corner over there where it has not been touched. And I determine for the thousandth time that I will follow that pointless pattern to some sort of conclusion. I know a little of the principle of design. And I know this thing was not arranged on any laws of radiation or alteration or repetition or symmetry or anything else that I ever heard of. It is repeated, of course, by the breadths.
the interminable grotesques seemed to form around a common center and rush off in headlong plunges of equal distraction. It makes me tired to follow it. I will take a nap, I guess. I don't know why I should write this. I don't want to. I don't feel able. And I know John would think it absurd, but I must say what I feel and think in some way. It is such a relief. But the effort is getting to be greater than the relief. Half the time, now I am awfully lazy. Am I down ever so much? John says I mustn't lose my strength and has me take cod liver oil and lots of tonics and things to say nothing of ale and wine and rare meat. Dear John, he loves me very dearly and hates to have me sick. I tried to have a real earnest, reasonable talk with him the other day and tell him how I wish he would let me go and make a visit to cousin Henry and Julia. But he said I wasn't able to go, nor able to stand it after I got there. And I did not make out a very good case for myself, for I was crying before I had finished. It is getting to be a great effort for me to think straight. Just this nervous weakness, I suppose. And dear John gathered me up in his arms and carried me up the stairs and laid me on the bed and sat by me and read to me till it tired my head. He said I was his darling and his comfort and all he had and that I must take care of myself for his sake and keep well. He says no one but myself can help me out of it that I must use my will and self-control and not let any silly fancies run away with me. There is one comfort. The baby is well and happy and does not have to occupy this nursery with the horrid wallpaper. If we had not used it, that blessed child would have. What a fortunate escape. Why? I wouldn't have a child of mine, an impressionable little thing, live in such a room for worlds. I never thought of it before, but it is lucky that John kept me here after all. I can stand it so much easier than a baby, you see. Of course, I never mention it to them anymore. I am too wise, but I keep watch of it all the same. There are things in that paper that nobody knows but me, or ever will. Behind that outside pattern, the dim shapes get clearer every day. It is always the same shape, only very numerous. And it is like a woman stooping down and creeping about behind that pattern. I don't like it a bit. I wonder. I begin to think. I wish John would take me away from here, 
It is so hard to talk with John about my case because he is so wise and because he loves me so. But I tried it last night. It was moonlight. The moon shines in all around just as the sun does. I hate to see it sometimes. It creeps so slowly and always comes in by one window or another. John was asleep and I hated to waken him. So I kept still and watched the moonlight on that undulating wallpaper till I felt creepy. The faint figure behind seemed to shake the pattern just as if she wanted to get out. I got up softly and went to feel and see if the paper did move. And when I came back, John was awake. What is it, little girl? He said. Don't go walking about like that. You'll get cold. I thought it was a good time to have a talk. So I told him that I really was not gaining here and that I wished he would take me away. Why, darling, said he, our lease will be up in three weeks. I can't see how we can leave before. The repairs are not done at home and I cannot possibly leave town just now. Of course, if you were in any danger, I could and would. But you really are better, dear, whether you can see it or not. I am a doctor, dear, and I know. You are gaining flesh and color. Your appetite is better. I really feel much easier about you. I don't weigh a bit more, said I, nor as much, and my appetite might be better in the evening when you're here. But it is worse in the morning when you're away. Bless her little heart, said he with a big hug. She shall be as sick as she pleases. But now, let's improve the shining hours by going to sleep and talk about it in the morning. And you won't go away? I asked gloomily. Why, how can I, dear? It is only three weeks more. And then we will take a nice little trip of a few days while Jenny is getting the house ready. Really, dear, you are better. Better in body, perhaps. I began and stopped short, for he sat up straight and looked at me with such a stern, reproachful look that I could not say another word. My darling, said he, I beg of you. For my sake and for our child's sake, as well as for your own, that you will never for one instant let that idea enter your mind. There is nothing so dangerous, so fascinating to a temperament like yours. It is a false and foolish fancy. Can you not trust me as a physician when I tell you so? So, of course, I said no more on that score, and we went to sleep before long. He thought I was asleep first, 
that I wasn't. I lay there for hours, trying to decide whether that front pattern and the back pattern really did move together or separately. On a pattern like this, by day, there is a lack of sequence, a defiance of law that is a constant irritant to a normal mind. The color is hideous enough and unreliable enough and infuriating enough, but the pattern is torturing. You think you have mastered it, but just as you get well underway in following, it turns a back somersault and there you are. It slaps you in the face, knocks you down and tramples you. It is like a bad dream. The outside pattern is a florid arabesque, reminding one of a fungus. If you can imagine a toadstool in joints, an interminable string of toadstools, budding and sprouting in endless convolutions. Why, that is something like it. That is, sometimes. There is one marked peculiarity about this paper, a thing nobody seems to notice but myself, and that is that it changes as the light changes. When the sun shoots in through the east window, I always watch for that first long, straight ray. It changes so quickly that I never can quite believe it. That is why I watch it always. By moonlight, the moon shines in all night where there is a moon. I wouldn't know it was the same paper. At night, in any kind of light, in twilight, candlelight, lamplight, and worst of all, by moonlight, it becomes bars. The outside pattern, I mean. And the woman behind it is as plain as can be. I didn't realize for a long time what the thing was that showed behind. That dim sub-pattern. But now, I am quite sure it is a woman. By daylight, she is subdued, quiet. I fancy it is the pattern that keeps her so still. It is so puzzling. It keeps me quiet by the hour. I lie down ever so much now. John says it is good for me and to sleep all I can. Indeed, he started the habit by making me lie down for an hour after each meal. It is a very bad habit, I am convinced. For, you see, I don't sleep. And that cultivates deceit. For I don't tell them I'm awake. Oh no. The fact is, I'm getting a little afraid of John. He seems very queer sometimes. And even Jenny has an inexplicable look. It strikes me occasionally, just as a scientific 
hypothesis that perhaps it is the paper. I have watched John when he did not know I was looking and come into the room suddenly on the most innocent excuses. And I've caught him several times looking at that paper. And Jenny too. I caught Jenny with her hand on it once. She didn't know I was in the room. And when I asked her in a quiet, a very quiet voice, with the most restrained manner possible, what she was doing with the paper, she turned around as if she had been caught stealing and looked quite angry, asked me why I should frighten her so. Then she said that the paper stained everything it touched, that she had found yellow smooches on all my clothes and John's, and she wished we would be more careful. Did not that sound innocent? But I know she was studying that pattern, and I am determined that nobody shall find it out but myself. Who likes dark stories? People who have experienced a touch of the dark side. People who are a little wiser to the world. People who like their bones chilled and their spines tingled. People like you and me. It's hard to find a story these days that write on the dark side with a touch of whimsy, humor, and heart. Mavsky spreads her dark wings and solves this problem for you. Head on over to Amazon and type Mavsky's name into the search engine. M-A-V-S-K-Y-E. At Amazon, you'll find her Tales to Chill Your Bones series, Girl Clown Hatchet series, Supergirl series, her cult classic novel, Wanted Single Rails, and, of course, her brand new release, Cold Hangs the Midnight. Choose your dark flavor and head on over to Amazon today.